Well, good morning. As you know, Brent just told you to for Lent, we're journeying through the book of Matthew. I hope that you'll be reading along with us. Um, You may not know, but both Matthew and Mark, the Gospels, are very geographically driven. They fashion their stories of Jesus' life according to the geography, according to the place where he was. And, um, And so the geography of the story more than we realize, more than I ever realized, is so important to understanding this story. It can, un, it can inform so much about what Jesus was doing. Know up front that you don't need to know the geography to know the gospel story. You can read the story the way it is without the history and get the truth of Jesus. Um, sometimes I, I, I push against people who say, you know, until you go to Israel and experience it, you can't truly know the gospel story. Well, you can you can know who Jesus is. You can be saved. But sometimes knowing the location and knowing the reason for that location can uncover some depth of meaning that is really, really valuable. It was really helpful for me a few years ago to go to Israel and see it. How many of you have been to Israel and, and seen it? Good. I, I'm glad that you're here because I will tell you right up front, I am not an expert on the geography of Israel. So all of you who have been there or who have studied before, you're welcome to jump in today and correct me if you wish. I'm not coming here as, as the big expert. Um, but, but even on a quick half hour here, whatever time we take, you can get a lot of great perspective that can inform your understanding as you read through the book of Matthew. So here's my goal. Um, we're going to go over, I'm, I've got some pictures here of Israel. I've made careful, I'm careful not to make this a travelogue of my trip, so you will never see a picture of me waving in front of something. Um, It's about the geography, about the land and the place of Israel. So you're going to get a picture. We're going to kind of do a little tour through the land, so you can get a picture in your mind of what this place is like. Uh, It might veer off to a few stories, Old Testament and New Testament, of this is why this happened in this place. Um, And then we're going to also have a little bit of time where at the end maybe talk for a little bit about what does that mean sociologically so not only the land the ground itself but what about these different areas how did they see each other and view each other as well so that's where that's the where we're heading this morning again i'm wide open to questions and answers and interrupt me as you wish that is the size of israel superimposed over the united states I think it's important to realize the size of the country that we're talking about. Sometimes we think countries are always big, and we're talking about vast areas of land here. Israel is not a big place. Um, In fact, it's comparable to New Jersey. Um, So if you've been to New Jersey, you know the size of New Jersey, you know the size of Israel. It is about, um, from top to bottom, 263 miles. Uh, The width goes anywhere widest point 114 miles to nine miles at its most narrow point so so you know first of all get in your mind we aren't talking about a huge expanse of land here but you also have to remember we're talking first century it's easy to drive across new jersey in a day there's no cars now so you're walking so even though your size is much smaller you can't you can't think okay well they can get anywhere fast they can't. Okay? So you're talking small land, but remember the era and the time that, you're, that we're talking about. 
Um, this is my preferred map of Israel. I tried to get, like, you'll see maps all around the, um, the church building. I tried to get this one, and we couldn't get this one. I'm sorry it doesn't come through more clearly. This is actually the cover of the book that I used when I, when I went to, to my class in, in Israel. And I love this map because it shows you the, um, the geographical features of, of Israel, like other maps maybe don't. Um, you'll notice we're not talking about flat ground here. Um, we're not talking about wide open plains. We're not talking about, um, about we're talk, here's a huge mountain range that takes up a good chunk, if not almost all, of the nation of Israel. So, and we'll see pictures of that in just a moment. You need to realize when you're picturing where Jesus is and what he did, you're picturing peaks and valleys and mountains uh, most often, not valleys and flatlands. And you'll see why that's important as we keep talking about this. Um, and you remember, the city of Jerusalem is set on top of one of these mountain peaks in the southern area of Israel. Um, actually, this picture, so you see, there, there's a, this is the edge of the city of Jerusalem, and you have the valley in between, and I'm taking this picture from the next mountain on the other side, which is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, so when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane around here somewhere, that was his view. He could see right to the temple. Um, it wasn't that far away, but it had this deep valley in between. So you have to always be thinking mountains and valleys when we're traveling here. Um, this, you'll notice on the map scattered throughout the church that the map title is called The Land Between. And that's a great phrase to think about the history of Israel thinking back Old Testament and New Testament, it is really the land between. I'm going to give you a wide picture of the geography here before we get narrow. Uh, Because down here, remember what country you have down here? Egypt. Your superpower Egypt is always down to the south. Um, Up here to the north, you have in the Old Testament Assyria and Babylon. Uh, If you head over this way a little bit, you're going to get to Rome. Rome. and so you have your superpowers to the north as well. So, so Israel is a country that's situated historically, almost all throughout history, between superpowers. Whatever those superpowers might be, you have Israel sitting right between them. And to the west here, you have the Mediterranean Sea. And to the east here, you have desert. You go any further this way, you are in pure desert. In fact, when we were there... I was there in June, and it was hot. And for two of the days, the winds shifted, and the winds came this way and blew this way. The temperature went up about, felt like 50 degrees, because this desert breeze comes, comes blowing on over. So you have to realize that with these superpowers down here and a superpower up here, if they want to trade together, which they probably do, or if they want to fight each other, which they love to do, guess where they have to go? They got to go right through here, right through this land between. And so, and so when you read the Old Testament history of armies coming and armies going, it's because they really had no choice except to come right. If Egypt wanted to get to Assyria, I got to go through Egypt first, or through Israel first. And so you always have to picture this, this land between. Uh, one of the first things they taught us um, is how do you, how do you get north to south through here. Um, And it's really interesting. There's three highways you can take. 
um, highways. They're not paved ways, really. Um, you can come, if you're coming south to north, you can come through here and take what they call the King's Highway, which goes on the desert side here. Remember Moses leading the people of Israel out of the desert? The desert's down here. He took the King's Highway up this side through Moab. Here's Moab. And then ducked right in through here because there's Jericho and right to Jerusalem, right in through there, okay? So you got your King's Highway, but they don't like to take that highway so much because it's desert. You got a road that goes right through this mountain range, okay? You can take peak to peak. Not very pleasant, not very good for getting your, um, your chariots through because you're going up and down the whole time. It does run right through Jerusalem, right through Bethlehem, right through all those places. The preferred route, okay, here you got this nice flat plain right there, right? And so the preferred route is to take this area right through here. This is where the Philistines live, by the way. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, there's a pass right here. You can sneak through this mountain range, get to this valley here, sneak your way through here, and you head up north right through that little valley there. Here's a I'll give you this one for free, this little story. This pass is called the Megiddo Pass. Um, it's the one pass, one best pass to get through this mountain range. So let's say that you are Babylon, and you know that Egypt is coming up to get you. What you'd do is you'd come and you'd hang out down here, and sneak on either side of this pass, wait for them to come through this narrow, narrow pass, and you'd just attack them right there. And so when you hear about battles in the Old Testament, you'll often hear they were fought in the Jezreel Valley. They're all fought right there for a purpose. Because the best way to get somebody is to get them as they come through this pass. Um, that's why Megiddo, um, if you go up to the book of Revelation, the final battle, remember where it's going to be fought? Armageddon. There's your Megiddo, Megiddo. The people, of, the people reading the book of Revelation would say, oh, that's where battles are fought. That's where all the big battles are. It's going to be right, right there if you go literal, if you go figurative. It's talking about the big battles, the place where it's fought. Anyways, so there's your third highway that goes, that goes along the coast. Um, um, let's see. There's four geographic districts. If I were to tell you, just like in the United States, we have our own geography in the United States. People, we once had friends from England come to visit, and we, we said, what do, what do you want to do when you come to the United States? They were there for a week. And they said, well, we'd like to get to the Grand Canyon, and we'd like to do New York City, and we'd like to, and they listed these things like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not, we're not all that close. We're not all that unified, right? We have different regions, different geographies, different characteristics. Like if I said, you give me some characteristics of somebody from New York, and then give me some characteristics of somebody from Baton Rouge, they're, they're different people, right? They even speak different, they look different, they have different cultures as well. The same thing with Israel. Much smaller scale, remember size of New Jersey, but the distance still made it so that they could be geographically different. So there's really four, I'm going to go back a minute, there's four different regions when you talk about Judah, and this is review for most of you, you're talking about the southern part of Judah, right down here. Um, so there's your region of Judah, and we'll talk about that. In the middle here is the region of Samaria. We aren't going to deal a lot with Samaria because the Jews hated the Samaritans, so Jesus didn't spend a lot of time there. Remember how they, would, um, they hated him so much that they would, 
If you need to come from here to Jerusalem, you wouldn't do a straight line. You'd come over here, you'd travel the other side of the river and cut back over because you wanted to avoid Samaria all you want. And up north, you had the region of Galilee. There's your three main regions. Your fourth region that you'll hear about in Scripture is the region of Perea, which is over here on the other side of the Jordan a little bit. Jesus spends a little time in Perea. That's where he uh, casts a demon out. He heals a blind and, and mute man. Um, so you have Perea over here. You'll also hear about a non-Israelite section up here. It's the Decapolis. D is 10, Decapolis city. There's 10 cities, Greek cities up here. Uh, that kind of um, are their own region as well. And Jesus ducks across and spends a few moments in the Decapolis as well. But the parts that we're especially interested in are Galilee up here. Whereas if you're here this morning, you know that's where Jesus grew up. And uh, Judah down here, which is really the center of, of the cultural um, power of the nation of Israel. So let's start in Judea. Let's talk a little bit about that southern section. Of all the sections, you've got to think mountains. You've got to think hills. You've got to think valleys. This is just a picture of a typical type of city outside of, of Jerusalem. I, can't, I don't remember whether this is a picture of, of the modern-day Jerusalem or whether this is modern-day uh, Bethlehem. It's one of those two, and I don't remember exactly which one. Um, but you notice, if you're going to go anywhere, you're going up or down. And you're walking this. You're not driving this. So travel uh, has an issue there. There is no flat ground. Um, this is outside of Bethlehem. Um, when you hear about modern-day uh, Israelite settlements on Palestinian land, uh, this is what it looks like. This is one of those settlements on Palestinian land that they are claiming. Um, so again, look, at there's nothing flat. You're di- dipping down into a valley. You're building your house on the side of a hill. It's all rocky. Um, this is outside of Bethlehem too. Bethlehem is just over here. Um, so here's what you're, when you're talking about an orchard, you're not talking about Clackle's orchard that you see here filled with beautiful trees all lined up nicely. You're talking pretty barren ground. This is, this is as flat as you're going to get, and this is a pretty steep hill. Um, it's as good as you're going to get. That's the kind of orchard you're going to see. When you talk about fa- farming, okay, here's your, this is a, um, a grape orchard, and so you're claiming as much ground as you can. It's all on the side of a hill. Um, this is your, your vineyard. So when you're hearing about vineyards, it's not this beautiful, lush place. It's these, these kinds of plants. In fact, sometimes they aren't even tied up. Here's a vineyard where they just let the vines grow on the ground, um, and they're coming up through the rocks and through the dirt. It's not a very forgiving type of land. When you hear about shepherds outside of Bethlehem, right, the, they're watching over their flocks by night. It's what you're looking at right there. Uh, this is early June, so summer is just beginning. I wasn't there in the winter. Were any of you there in the winter? Does it get greener than this? Any, anybody there in the winter? Okay, no aunt. Feel free to pipe in if you want. This was early June, so it wasn't that far into the summer, and look, there's nothing green. Um, they're on the side of hills. Um, the, he was shepherding goats. Um, you're just grabbing food wherever these goats are grabbing food wherever they can get them. There's our shepherd who waved to our bus as we went by. Um, so again, your shepherds are not your high-class people. So you're picturing this kind of ground um, outside of Bethlehem, outside of Jerusalem. 
So there's your vicinity of Jerusalem. When you're walking to Jerusalem, that's what you're walking through. That's where you're heading through. Um, by the way, Jerusalem, if you wonder where it is, you can go take the top of the Dead Sea here and go over sideways, and it's going to be right in the middle of the mountains there, right in the middle of the mountain range um, is Jerusalem. So what I want to do to, to find out more about this area, I want to take us, we're going to journey, I'm going to take you this way, and I'm going to take you this way, then I'm going to take you this way through Judea. So we're going to head out of Jerusalem and take a trip through these mountains over to the Dead Sea here so you can see um, what it was like when Jesus was there. And that is, this is not a pleasant, easy journey. This is just outside of Jerusalem, heading east towards the Dead Sea. When they say, you'll probably see this picture next Sunday, because when they say Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, most likely this is where he went. Um, And this is probably what shocked me the most, seeing this place when I went to Israel. Um, There is nothing here. You know, down in the valleys, you get some pockets of trees and maybe a little bit of water here. But for as far as you can see, it is hot and dry and dusty, and you send me out there for 40 days, and I am a dead man. Um, my guess is you wouldn't survive long either. So it was just really stunning to me. This is just outside of Jerusalem. You just start walking, and that's what you get as you're driving east towards the Dead Sea. Um, this is just taking a picture out of the bus um, as we're driving that way. Again, um, really dry desert area. Um, this is actually a picture. This is Masada here. And you probably know the story of Masada. So you're looking over. There's the edge of the Dead Sea right there. You picture when you're getting close to water, things start getting green and lush and beautiful. Don't picture that with the Dead Sea. It just stays dry and, and barren and hot there. Um, so there's the edge of the Dead Sea. This is all salty. Um, I did have the picture. They, t- they did turn one section of it into a beach. So if you've been there, you've all been to the same beach with palm trees um, where you can go float in the water because it's all salty. Um, but when you're heading towards the Dead Sea, it's more desert. It's more dry. Um, and the sea is not a pleasant place to be. Um, okay, so that's when you're coming this way out of the mountains down there. You come south here, and it gets even, even worse because the mountain range ends right about here, pretty much, and this is the desert area, and it turns into the Sinai Desert down here. And so this is what you're looking at down south. Um, there's two of these huge basins, like 20 miles wide and t- or long and 10 miles wide um, that are just, there is no rain, there is no vegetation, there is nothing but desert. This is your true desert where only your ibex live. They're really cute, by the way. Um, and they are really tame. They came right up to you. But look at that ground. They're, they're just finding any food they can eat. Um, yeah, little guy. I just want to take him home. Um, this is the place where your camels. You've got to have a camel if you're going to survive here because there is no water. So you go south. You won't hear, I don't think in Scripture, I think double-check this, any stories south in this desert because people don't live here. Um, you get south of Jerusalem, out of the mountains, and, and you just can't even live there. Not much happens there for good reason. Okay, so that's all 
this area down south of Jerusalem. If you take the mountains out and you come down here, you're into the desert. I want to take you over here to the, to the um, foothills, heading to the plains now as well. Um, in those foothills, so come out of the mountains. Picture the Jerusalem mountains. You're, you're going to head to the plains. In between, you have the foothills. They call them tells. The word tell, it means hill. And so all these little cities along the way, hill Azekah. So on, on this little hill is the city Azekah. Um, you can imagine that, that these foothills are very popular places because you have the plains, which are great places to grow your food. Okay? So if you're living up in Jerusalem where it's dry and desert, you've got to get food from somewhere, and the plains is where the food can be grown. And the foothills are where you can get a little bit of safety and security too, right? You've got the mountains behind you. Um, you want higher ground, and so the foothills are, are extremely important places uh, to live. So here's a picture of, of one of these tells. You're up on a hill, not quite a mountain, a hill, but all of a sudden you're getting some flat ground where you can grow a lot of food. Um, you, get, you get fertile land because the, the water off the Mediterranean is getting dumped on this side of the mountain. Um, and so this is an extremely valuable place to be where all your food is going to be coming from. See, you're coming from the dry stuff, and you're heading down into the fertile land. Um, take you back to the Old Testament. It's interesting that, I think I told you on that map, the, the flat ground there, the plain ground, um, right here, you'll see it says Philistia right there. This is where the Philistines lived. They were plains people here living on the plains. And so in the Old Testament, you have the Israelites here in Jerusalem in that area, mountain people. You have the Philistines, the plains people. And you have this, this foothill area in between, which is why they constantly butted heads. Because this is where the food comes from. And so they're fighting over this land here. And they keep, keep bumping into each other. So the Philistines would try and drive the Israelites back up into the mountains. And the Israelites would keep coming down to try and get more fertile land from the Philistines, um, and that's why they were such enemies the whole time. It makes sense with the geography. They both need that land in order to survive. And it makes sense with some of the stories in the Old Testament where um, you have these, remember these foreign powers? This is the highway, the blue arrow, so the favorite traffic lane for superpowers. So when they come through, you've been growing your crops for how many months? And guess what? Egypt decides to come through and attack Babylon. They're going to come through. They're going to destroy your crops for that year as they go through, and you're toast. Um, you can't just run down and buy your crops from a different mire somewhere. Uh, your annual crop has been destroyed by the, by, the, uh, by the superpowers coming through. So it's really a fascinating, fascinating lane here. But when you think, why do the Philistines keep, why can't they get along? Well, they're trying to survive together with a little bit of land that can grow, that can grow some food. Um, okay, so there's, there's your picture of, Ju- of Judah and, and Jerusalem in the middle. Jerusalem, a ma- the one major superpower city in the country, the focal point of the nation. It is a beautiful city um, set high in one of the highest peaks, so it's almost impenetrable in those days. It is a great place to defend yourself from 
enemy forces. So that's why they're up here in the mountains. Um, but they're needing this area as well. And they need also the north as well. So let's head north a little bit as well. And well, let me just stop. Any questions on Judah, the southern? Anybody who's been there want to pipe in and say something you learned as well? I feel like I'm rambling, but it's like a sermon. Yeah. That is a great question. We're not talking the Rocky Mountains. Um, I, I would, somebody pull out your phone and, and Google for me the height of, pick a mountain, Mount Sinai, and figure out. I think, you're, I, think I remember you're talking like 9,000 feet. I think you're thinking like 10,000 feet. You also have to remember that um, this is the lowest, lowest place on earth. So you're starting your mountain below sea level. So if you're going to go from low to high, you're not starting at zero. You're starting down below zero as well. So Mount Carmel will be close. No, that won't be close then. We're talking higher than that. Well, while you're looking that up, I had another question or comment. Did I see another hand somewhere over here? Maybe not. Okay, in Mount Hermon, if this is Jerusalem, Mount Hermon, I believe, is up here. You're talking 10,000 feet up there. These aren't quite that high, so I do think you're talking eight, 9,000 feet. So still a significant height, but you're not climbing the Rockies. Good question. Other questions? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. When I think of land flowing with milk and honey, I don't, I don't picture this. I wonder if it's in context of what's down here. You know, Egypt, besides the delta, besides the, the Nile, the delta of the Nile River, that's pretty fertile. But Egypt itself, along with the Sinai Peninsula, is desert, is really barren and dry. So, when you're talking flowing with milk and honey. Are you comparing it to what they had down here in Egypt? Maybe that's the context. Um, this area here, though, is really quite fertile. It grows quite a bit. And um, we're going to get up to Galilee up here, too, and that's a lot more fertile than the mountains down here. Um, if I had to pick my favorite place to live that's flowing with milk and honey, I wouldn't pick this location. So, All right. Let's move on. Samaria in the middle here. I'm not going to spend much time. We didn't spend a lot of time there. Um, remember, that was um, populated by people who were left behind when um, Babylon came and defeated the nation of Israel. And so they were the poorest of the poor. They intermarried with, with pagans. Um, and so if you were a good Jew, you hated the Samaritans. You didn't even consider them a shared nationality with you, really. So... Um, so the stories that you're going to hear in Scripture through the book of Matthew happen down here and happen up here. Um, there's a few. Jesus, remember, he makes a choice to travel right through Samaria and meets the woman at the well there. Stunning to have happen because everybody else would travel on the other side and avoid Samaria. So you're going to get a few stories in here, and it's a good history to know. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there in Samaria with us this morning. 
um, I want to get us up to Galilee. Because now you're up in Galilee. There's still, I mean, oops. There's still mountains up here. You can see the, we're up in this section now. And there's still mountains, but you're going to see a lot more green, a lot more opportunity for this, for farming, for agriculture. Um, the rain falls, again, on this side of the mountain and comes in, in through Galilee. Um, now your orchards are, are getting a little, more, uh, a little more organized, a little better uh, producing here. Um, you can get your fields of wheat and grain. Now you can see some milk and honey flowing through here up in Galilee. Um, you have the lake, and this is not the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful lake. We stayed on the shores there for three nights, and every night when we were done, I'd put on my swimsuit and jump in. It was gorgeous, and watch the sunset over the mountain. So here, you can build a nice city. This is a modern-day city, obviously. You can build a nice city on the shores of, of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and obviously, the water of Galilee is going to... Um, going to help with whatever you want to grow as well. You got to remember with the Sea of Galilee, you're not talking huge. You know, I always think Lake Michigan is some huge, huge sea. The Sea of Galilee, um, let's see, I wrote it down here, I think. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. So it's not that big. Um, but I, I, we asked a question. We stayed on the, on the other side of the, of the sea here. Um, so Jesus took the boats back and forth this way, the 8-mile way. And we said to our guide, like, that story where Jesus gets in the boat and all of a sudden a storm comes and they're going to die? Like, it's only eight miles. How did they not see the storm and say, you know what, maybe we should wait a few minutes before we go, you know? And, and he said, actually, what happens is um, you have a, a mountain range here on this side, right? He said, you can't see over the mountain range. And these storms all of a sudden pop over the mountain range and, you, and they hit instantly. Um, so it would make sense that they would say, hey, the weather's fine, let's go. And they get out four miles into the lake, and all of a sudden, over the mountain comes the storm uh, that raises the waves. So, so, again, I'm trying to read it through my Lake Michigan geography, which is very different from the geography here. Um, so a lot more water. Here's the Jordan River flows through it. Um, the Jordan River is a healthy river. It's at the, it starts up north, so it's not real huge yet. But you can see where the Jordan flows. You've got fresh water. You've got things growing. You've got green in the Jordan. Um, it gets much, again, I was there early June, so it gets much wider, overflows its banks as the snow in the mountains up north uh, melts further into the summer. Um, but at points, it's just a beautiful little river. It gets wider as it heads down south. Um, so, so Galilee is a very different picture up here to the north where you have your valley, you have your green, you have a freshwater lake. Um, you head up north here, there's another little lake here. The city of Dan is up here. Um, it's just lush and green right in that little valley, which is a beautiful place to be. So that land is extremely valuable. Um, but I show you those two pictures of the south here, the dry mountains, and the north here, your green valleys with, with different kinds of mountains to show when you, you can't assume that the nation of Israel is all one, that it's unified and everything's alike. Um, you have two very, very different um, north-south entities and realities of this land. 
And so you have, if you're here this morning already, you realize here's where your power lies, in Jerusalem, in the mountains, in this dry and dusty land. And here's where Jesus is from. Nazareth is right there, uh, right above the Jezreel Valley, on this little mountain area here, up in the hills. Um, And so you need to think about two very, very different cultures when you read the story of Jesus' life um, in Galilee and his journey to Jerusalem here in the book of Matthew. Let me just read um, one quote for, for you here. Um, so I want to get into, I'm going to get into maybe the cultural differences here for a few minutes, and then we can talk more. Um, he, he writes this, this, this uh, professor, he says, Modern readers of the New Testament often know little about the geopolitical world of first century Palestine. It is commonly assumed that the Jews were an undifferentiated community living amicably in a part of the world that we now call the Holy Land united in their resentment of the political imposition of Roman rule to which they were all equally subject. He says, this is a gross distortion of the historical and cultural reality. You see, this northern province of Galilee, what Jesus called home, that shaped him, that defined him in his growing up years, um, it was decisively different. It was different in its history. It was different in its political status. It was different in its culture than what we assume from what we know of Jerusalem in the south, which is what most of us assume it was all about, right? And he points out seven different ways that this northern region is really different that we need to keep in mind as we read this story. This northern region of Galilee is different racially. We assume this whole land is the land of the Jews, and we have the Jewish people, like like. Like our own country, we're all Americans. We have a few immigrants or a few foreigners living here and there, but we're all Americans. We assume that they're all Jews. They're all the same. They're not. Okay, this area of Judah is more pure Jews, right? With a few foreigners here or there, but they didn't really live there. Up north, it's very different. Remember the northern kingdom? Go back to the Old Testament with me. The northern kingdom fell far earlier than the southern kingdom. Um, And so what happened is this northern kingdom up here in the Old Testament got settled with all kinds of different people, right? The people of Israel are taken away. Assyria comes and and starts building their own cities and populating that area too. So what you have in the north is you have all these little cities. There's not a major city like Jerusalem. All these little cities. And some of these cities are Jewish settlements and some are foreign pagan settlements, and they're all right next to each other. Um, And so you don't have a pure Jewish culture here. Um, In fact, uh, we went to uh, Caesarea Philippi, which I think is up here somewhere. It's a whole city with with a temple system dedicated to the god Pan. And you can go and, and see the whole city. It's a pagan city right there in the middle of Galilee. And so your southern pure Jews are not going to be real happy. They're not going to really respect you for living amongst the pagans and the, um, and the people who are, who are not your Jewish partners. And so know already there's a racial piece that goes with that. There's a, a geog- we already talked about the geographic difference, right? Um, in fact, 
um, he talks about how this area is so fertile that a lot of these Galilean farmers became quite rich uh, because they, they grew good, good farmland. And um, your powerful um, Jerusalem and Judean people hated them for, their, for being rich, for making it, right? Um, they did not look kindly upon their rich Galilean brothers. Politically, they're very different. Okay, down here, you have, in the first century, talking Jesus' day, um, you, you are ruled by a Roman governor, right? You have Pilate, who's down here. Um, the northern area of Galilee is still ruled by a kind, kind of a, um, they don't have a direct Roman rule. Um, they have somebody that Rome approves, but uh, it's really that Herod, when King Herod dies, he splits his kingdom up between his three sons. Um, and so you have, you have Pilate down here, and you have Herod's three sons looking over these different territories as well. So you don't have direct Roman rule up here in Galilee. That's only down here in Jerusalem, which is why in the story of Jesus, you're going to hear when he gets arrested. Remember what Pilate does? Um, Herod, not the, not the one when he was born, but Herod's son who's ruling up here, the Tetrarch, is in town, and he sends Jesus to Herod. Remember? He sends him to Herod to say, you deal with him. You, because Herod is the one ruling up here, not the direct Roman rule. So there's a difference in po- politics between these two. There's a difference economically, right? Up, up top, you have agriculture. You have fishing. Um, you don't have any of that down here. It's dry. Um, you have a difference culturally. These Galileans... Um, are your country bumpkin cousins. Um, if, you're from, if you're from Judea, if you're from New York City, you're not going to highly respect your Appalachian cousins. That's what you got. You got your New York City, your Boston, New York, East Coast establishment, and you got your uh, backwoods Appalachians. That's the culture that, that you're looking at here. A huge difference. These Galileans even spoke differently over time. Their language changed. So um, you can't hide. You can't come. If you're from Galilee and you come down to visit Jerusalem, you can't hide. Everybody's going to know that you're the, the backwards country cousin from up north. Um, but uh, um, he, he talks about how the language is so different, it would be like, um, like a Texan going to New York. Right? Everybody in New York is going to know you're from Texas. You can't hide it. And they're different religiously, right? So we think that these Pharisees, that the Jewish system of religion is all the same throughout the whole country. Um, it's not the same. You have your strict religious um, Pharisees living down here in Judah and Judea, um, in Jerusalem. Things are much more lax up here in Galilee. They don't observe all the proper rituals that their southern brothers think they should they don't always go to the temple. They're supposed to go, remember, they're supposed to go for all these different festivals year after year. And especially, you better get to Jerusalem to the temple for the Passover every year. And that's what your southern people are going to insist because they don't need to travel through these mountains. So your people of Galilee say, eh, I'm not going to go this year. Because can you imagine this trip 200 miles through the mountains to get there for your week-long festival? Um, they more often than not say, mm, maybe not this year. Um, so if you're a good Pharisee, a good religious Jew down south, 
you're going to look down on your brothers up north um, socially and spiritually as well. So you got these differences. And let me quote, quote the writer again, this professor. He wrote this. He wrote, even an impeccably Jewish Galilean, so you're the best Jewish Galilean you can be from up north here, even the most impeccably Jewish Galilean in first century Jerusalem was not among his own people when he got down to Jerusalem. He was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. And all the communal prejudice of the supposedly superior culture of the capital city would stand against his claim to be heard, even as a prophet, let alone as the Messiah, a title which everyone knew belonged to Judah. The Messiah is going to come from here. That's what everybody knew. And so that quote, you got to tip this off to where he's saying, he said, Jesus grew up here in the backwoods of Galilee in a little town of Nazareth, population 200. He can't just stroll into Jerusalem now and get respect. He's going to have everybody, your, your whole powerful elite here, looking down on him simply because he's from here. And there's no way to hide it. So when he comes and says, here I am, the Messiah, you can understand why everybody from here laughs in his face. Why everybody from down south says, no way. Not a chance. There's no way that the Messiah is going to come from here, from Galilee, from Nazareth. And why... They end up killing him because he's from a totally different place. So he ends by this one quote, and I'm going to wrap up here. He says, to read Matthew, as we're going to do, to read Matthew in blissful ignorance of first century Palestinian sociopolitics is to miss the point, he said. This is the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus of Jerusalem, not Jesus of Bethlehem, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's going to color the whole story and how you're going to read the whole story. And I'll, I'll tip you off to how Matthew's going to take us through his gospel. You know, he has Jesus growing up here, and Jesus is going to do his ministry right here, a little bit over here. He's going to spend some time over here. He's going to duck down over here a little bit. Um, we do know that he did quick come to Jerusalem for festivals and, and leave again growing up. He did that. But his ministry is all up here. And you're going to find Matthew keeps getting us closer and closer until the final journey brings him down here where he's going to die and be resurrected again. Um, and there's a reason for that journey. There's a reason why this culture is going to ultimately conflict with this culture and why, um, why that journey is a big deal, which is why we called our, our series Journey, because we're going to move from here and all this is down to here and all that is. So I want to encourage you as you read through Matthew, we put maps all over the building. We're going to talk about these places. Um, check it out on a map. Learn more. Read Matthew. And as you're reading Matthew this month, and he says, and you read about the story where it says, and he crossed the lake and went over to the Decapolis, right over here. If you're like me in the past, you read that and say, okay, 
it's a place, and you read on. Maybe stop for a moment. There's this thing called Google, and you can Google, what is the Decapolis? Find out what it means. It means it's a, it's a 10 Greek cities over here. So he's dealing with a Greek culture now. And ask yourself, why would he go there? What's the purpose of being there? And why does he heal over there when there's plenty of Jewish people over here who could be healed? I don't know if you'll find all the right answers, but those are some of the right questions to ask. Why, why does he go over here and do what he does over here? Why does he come down here? And why, whenever he comes down here, do people fight him? Why do they argue with Ask questions about the places that, that Matthew tells us about because place matters in this story. That's all I've got. I had no idea how long this was going to take. Um, I've got about seven minutes. If, you, if those of you who know some of this want to add in, chime in and add into the pool of knowledge, that would be great. If some of you want to ask questions that I can have Brent Google, that would be great as well. So for those of you who know something about this, anything you want to add in, things that you experience as you travel the land, or any questions that you want to throw out there? Yeah. Uh, Modern-day Tel Aviv is closer to the coast, so I believe you're going to be over here somewhere. More north? Like right about there. Yeah. So, yeah, you fly, if you go to Israel, at least I did, you fly into Tel Aviv, and it was a, I want to say a half-hour bus ride to get from the airport to Jerusalem. Um, right there? Good question. Yes. Yeah, what struck me, and, and, and you guys who have been there can chime in too, um, with Galilee, at least what I know, you, know, you have your major city of Jerusalem, you have your bigger cities down here, but Galilee is filled with little towns of 200, you know, 400 people scattered throughout this hill, and, and because you're walking, these towns are actually in quite close proximity to each other. Um, in fact, when, a little side note, when we were down in one of these tells, um, coming out of the foothills down here, here's Gath. Um, this is the area where Goliath, David fought Goliath. And we were standing on one little hill, and probably from here to Ivanrest, you could see another little hill. And they said, that's the distance. That was your Philistine city, and this is your, your Israelite city. Like, I could, I could sprint the whole way there, and I'm not, and I'm not in shape. So you're talking much closer together because you're walking. So I think my, my answer to you, my best guess answer would be, um, you, don't, yeah, you don't have your major metropolises, but you have a whole bunch of little cities to draw from, um, a whole bunch of, of places where you could easily get 5,000 people because you're coming from these cities 
uh, that are scattered all throughout the region there. None too big, but plenty of them there. Sure. So you're going to have diversity in that crowd of 5,000. And we picture 5,000 people who all think alike, look alike, act alike. Um, probably not. I would guess, I hadn't thought about this before, but remember this area is filled with pagan cities too. I would guess you had a whole bunch of people from these pagan cities who were curious. They might have been in that 5,000. So you might even have all people who are all that interested in hearing them speak. I, that's a good point. You got some diversity coming in that group too. Jim. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I would guess that there were some language differences, but I'm, I'm not sure how long they were living in proximity to each other, and did they... I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so Aramaic or Greek. My guess is if you're, I mean, historically, and this is me guessing, okay? Historically, this is Israelite territory. That if you're a pagan city coming in here, that you're going to learn some Aramaic. You're going you're to figure out how to communicate with the people who live there. But yeah, Greek too. Almost everybody knew Greek back then too. I, you probably have two languages to choose from. Nancy, you could, I, I always look at you. Knowing Dan, you probably have all the answers here. Awesome. That's what I thought. And the humility to go with it. No, just kidding. Uh huh. It's a, it's, it's a world away. It's a world away. You, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you need to picture those differences. Just like saying, hey, the United States must all be the same. Well, no, the Rocky Mountains aren't the same as the plains. And it, it, Oops. But you're right, it's hard, you know, we showed some pictures there, but it's hard to imagine, unless you've been there, how dry, how just empty, how nothing this area is. Um, Dave and Indale? Yep, Dead Sea Scrolls were found right around in there, there's En Gedi, and they were found right there. Um, I had a picture, I didn't keep it in here, but that would be, um, again, those really dry, gray um, type of mountains just on the edge of the, of the Dead Sea, right in, right in through here, the series of caves in between. Masada's right, right there. 
So your Dead Sea Scrolls are right there. Dale and then Dan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You can do it. In yep. No. No, exactly. You know, in throughout history, there, people have guessed, you know, a thousand babies died. Bethlehem was a small town, more, more likely 10 to 20. Still heartbreaking. I'm not minimizing the death of 10 to 20, but it was probably a small regiment of soldiers that just ran down the street and took care of it. Yep. But you have to remember, they didn't run... They went down a huge valley and had to climb back up again. And, um, it was like, which always struck me, too, with, in the Old Testament, when Saul was hunting David and they talked to each other. I thought, how can you talk to each other and you can't catch them? Well, you're, you're on the opposite side with this really deep valley in between. So David's across the way saying, hey, Saul, and then can quick run away and be gone. And that's one thing that struck me too, side note, um, outside of Jerusalem. I'm going back to Jerusalem here. Uh, the picture from, remember I said this is Jerusalem Valley here and we're on the side where the um, Garden of Gethsemane is. So the night when Jesus is going to be arrested and betrayed, um, he's on this hill on this side overlooking Jerusalem. And it really struck me, if he were to just walk the opposite way of the city, he would immediately be gone, and no one would find him. It would, it would have been so easy for Jesus that night to say, I'm done. All he had to do was walk the other way, and over the mountain, he's, he's in a desolate place where nobody's going to find him. And that just struck me of how powerful of, of a choice it was for him to say, you know what, I'm here. They're going to come get me. I'm not, I'm not running away from this. Um, that's one thing that really struck me as well. Dan, did you have a comment or question? Where did John the Baptist conduct his ministry? Well, the easy answer is Jordan River. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Anybody know that answer? Because I can guess. I'm guessing that it's closer down here, closer to the to, to the Jerusalem people. Um, and so, you know, that'd be a journey coming out of the mountains to come and see, see John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River. I did, we did go to where they think John the Baptist was killed and his head is in this tunnel somewhere, but I couldn't tell you where I was. I think it was somewhere in Samaria in here. So my guess is you're talking southern area. When people came out of the out of the cities of Judah to see John the Baptist, yeah.
tell me about it, right? I'll, I'll end with this. Our, our professor talked about that, of why did God choose this place for his people? Um, because if we believe God does everything for a reason, it's not random. Um, he didn't throw a dart at, at his world and say, oh, that's where they're going to be. And, and we talked a lot about, did he put them in this harsh land between so that they wouldn't forget about him, so that they recognize how much they need him? You're in a dry place. You need him for food. You're in a place that's always being torn apart by, by world powers. You always need to rely on God for protection and for safety. Um, is, it, is it God saying, don't forget me? I'm going to make sure that you don't forget me because uh, you're in a harsh place. Yeah, you can. And it is. Yeah, trust me. You gotta trust me because the land's not gonna do it by itself. Yeah, absolutely. Conversation I can keep going. I hope this begins eight weeks of of conversation about place and about story together. So hopefully this just gives you a quick overarching foundation as you begin to read. So let me wrap up with prayer, and then we'll we'll move on. God, thank you so much for the ways that you have cared for your people. Thank you for the story of Jesus, a story that at its heart we can know. We know about your grace, about your love, about salvation, um, but a story that we can dive even deeper into and, and discover more about your grace and your plan and your love. And so as we work through the book of Matthew, as we look at place, as we try and understand and dig deeper into our understanding of place. Um, May your story come alive to us, maybe in a new way, in a deeper way. And may the truth of your love and grace be even more impactful in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Uh, Let's keep the conversation going over the next month.